Today in the podcast, we're having a conversation about perspective. My guest is the very clever Zoe Routh, and she has a great new book called People Stuff that's all about helping us deal with the tough stuff in leadership. She says that perspective is power, and that when we can see more, we can lead better. I give her a call to explore why perspective is so important, and also what we can do to get more of it. Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, liftoff! Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Joining me on the phone is Zoe Routh. Zoe is a leadership expert who from the wild rivers of Northern Ontario to the remote regions of Australia has spent the last 30 years showing teams how to navigate the wilderness of people stuff. She's already the author of three great books and her fourth book, People Stuff, Beyond Personalities, an advanced handbook for leadership was released in July this year. She's also the producer of the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast dedicated to exploring perspective in people stuff so we can live and lead better. And I'm absolutely honored to have her on the phone with me. Zoe, welcome. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much. I've been watching some of the, the content you're putting out on LinkedIn about your new book, and I've got a whole bunch of questions, which I'm really excited to explore. Uh, but one of the things I, have, I do at the start of every podcast is give people a chance to get to know you a little bit more. And so I do these three fast facts with every guest. And it's what was your, where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do with yourself now? Okay. I was born in Derby, England. All right. <laughs> and yeah, I know, right? You wouldn't guess. I grew up in Canada and I've been in Australia since 96. Uh, so that's why I talk a little funny. My first job was in Winnipeg, where I grew up in Canada. And it was at a place, a little juice bar, I guess it would be called now, right. called Orange Julius. And Orange Julius had, it was like uh, these drinks that were made with orange juice and then mixed with these powdery things to make these different flavors. Wow. And that was my very first job. <laughs> okay. And. The third piece was, what am I doing with myself now? Yeah. That, that's the question, right? Okay, now I've ended up, I am a leadership expert and I specialize in the people stuff. You know, how people can drive you absolutely bonkers and keep you <laughs> up late at night as a leader. Well, what I do is I show leaders and teams the structures and frameworks of, of why what's going wrong is going on and what we can do about it. I love it. And and if we were to kind of uh, wind back the clock a little bit about this journey that you've been on to arrive at uh, what it is ultimately that you do around this people stuff, and we can dive deeper into exactly what that means. What was the kind of journey that led you into this leadership space? I think my work history and my life history has been about two themes. One is the wilderness and two is around people. As a Canadian, every summer you go to summer camp and I went to summer camp from a young age. And there was this one pivotal summer when I went on a three-week canoe trip. And right. my summer camp counselor, the, the summer before, had promised, you know, oh, it's so much fun. We just cruise around all day. We hang out in the sun, on sun baking on rocks and 
chilling out. And I'm like, that sounds great. And it was three weeks of absolute chucking rain. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really hard. And I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, the rain was tough. But the 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 challenge, the adventure, and the connections with other people, it was a small group. There were seven girls and two adult female trippers. There was nine of us in the bush for three weeks. We didn't see a soul, I don't think. Maybe one or two other people across that whole time. And it was just amazing. And from that point on, that my two loves emerged, you know, hanging out with amazing people and learning about each other and mm-hmm. developing friendships, as well as discovering adventure in the bush. That, so that, um, that was the starting point. And that led me to nine summers working at summer camp, leading canoe trips myself. And the longest one I did was six weeks. Wow. And that was, yeah, it's quite an odyssey. I was telling my husband yesterday, we were having some argument. I think our water got shut off. I said, oh, I don't care. I went six weeks <laughs> I'm, used to, I'm used to going out into the middle of the wilderness and enjoying that time. <laughs> yeah. And um, he said six weeks without a shower. That's disgusting. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <It's> pretty gross. <laughs> but, you know, none of, all of us were in the same boat and we were in and out of the water all week. Um, all day, basically, uh, in a canoe. So that was that was Canada, and that led me to Outward Bound here in Australia, which is about personal leadership development in the outdoors. And it was similar in its ethos. You know, it's about con- strong connections between people, how we operate as a team, what we can discover about ourselves with each other in spectacular settings. Um, and that that theme also followed me to my next job, which was with the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, mm. and. Um, Where I worked there, we blended a little bit of the experiential with more classroom, um, traditional leadership development. So it's still experiential, but more uh, in a room (laughs) or in a in a hotel, I should say, as opposed to out in the bush. Um, So that was like the three major roles that I've had across my career. And then I took a I took a deep dive into looking at what drives people around 2000 when I hired my own uh, personal coach life coach, executive mm-hmm. coach. And I worked with them for a couple of years and I thought, oh my goodness, this is the most powerful modality in terms of learning about self and creating personal leadership transformation. So I was hooked uh, on that as a mode of working with people. Uh, before that, it had always been in groups. So I added that to my suite of passions as well. So really getting to know people one-on-one in, in deep, powerful conversation, as well as in powerful group settings. I like it. And it, it, it's a wilderness journey, isn't it? It's kind of you've come out of the totally. wilderness and you've brought all the experience that you learned in that in that period of time into what you're doing now. And you've kind of landed on this di- idea of people stuff. And, you know, when we when we hear people stuff, I think you could imagine every leader who's in an organization who's dealing with this every day. And it doesn't need to be complex or need to be any sort of technical term. We just go, it's just people stuff. What, what's your perspective on that? What, what, are you, um, what do you mean when you talk about the people stuff that we're dealing with in leadership? It's the stuff that drives you bonkers yep. and it's the stuff that you absolutely love too. So I think um, it, when we talk about leadership and what's hard about it, it's not developing strategy, um, though that's a complex thing. It's not necessarily difficult, though there can be some tough decisions. It's more about how you bring people into that decision-making process and how you get people to come on board with ideas and decisions and um, play nicely together. Mm. <laughs> so in the conversations <laughs> with leaders, some of the common challenges they, they talk about are things like uh, 
they just want to stick to their own silo. Like they just don't want to have a big picture view point of view. And this is very frustrating for Mm -hmm. CEOs and general managers because they need their people to step up and have a bigger picture view because otherwise we run into these conflicts, which is what silos create, you know, this sort of competitive nature, this sort of, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'll look after resources in my own section and we let somebody else drown or we steal their resources and make problems for them. Mm. I was talking to a leader the other day, Georgie Somerset, and she said, uh, it's the whole thing that you don't want to throw your rubbish out through the side door. I'm like, what? Tell me about that. Mm. She goes, well, you know, when we have a house, we have our front door, we go in the front door, it looks good. We go out the back door into our personal space and we chuck our rubbish out the side door. And her perspective is that through COVID-19, we've because we haven't been able to go in and out of our houses, we've actually been paying attention more to the side door. And what's happening is that there's all this rubbish piling up between houses. Now, this is all a metaphor. Yeah. But basically means is like, if you throw your problems out the side window, somebody else has got to deal with it. And now we're looking around and going, oh, my goodness, we are dealing with each other's side door rubbish. And if you take, for example, the lately, the, the big piece of news is um, three women who didn't do the right thing coming back from Melbourne into Queensland, lied about their experience and where they'd been. And they brought COVID-19 um, into Queensland, didn't self-quarantine. And now the, the state is on high alert waiting to see what transpires as a result. You know, and this is an example of the rest of the country picking up somebody else's side door rubbish. So uh. that's that's some of the kind of people stuff. Like it starts with silos and then there's like, there's turf wars. Um, then there's emotional responses and reactions. Um, but largely it's poor behavior, I think, which is a lot of the people stuff that people worry about. It's staff being resistant or critical or morose or dysfunctional in some way or um, <sighs> disenchanted or mm. even just removing themselves, you know, shut down. All that kind of weird uh, challenging emotional and irrational behavior is is what leaders struggle to deal with. That's the worst side of people's stuff. The best side of people's stuff is energy, enthusiasm, teamwork, cohesiveness, uh, collaboration. You know, mm. there's two sides two sides of every coin. And unless we learn how to deal with the difficult stuff, we can't get to the good stuff. And likewise, the good stuff needs some careful management to make sure that it stays good stuff. Oh, I really like that perspective on it. We often, we would, you, people would, who would be listening would be listening to some of those examples and going, yeah, that, that resonates in terms of the, the silos and the turf wars and having to, to, to pick up the, the rubbish that's been kind of dumped on, you know, out the side door and we're, we're kind of picking up the, and cleaning up the mess of this. Um, what do you think are some of the things that leaders are feeling um, and they're experiencing um, that they're not saying out loud, but they're probably experiencing themselves or, or as an internal conversation that's happening right now? The ones that I've been talking with are, it's consistent in this general sense of drain. Like mm. this is, this pandemic in particular is a marathon without a finish line. Yeah. <laughs> and, I thought, and I think that's a wonderful metaphor. Having run a few marathons, I imagine myself getting to the 40K mark in a real marathon, you know that you have, what is it, 42.2, 2.2 kilometers, kilometers yeah. to go. And you can sort of get your head into that, even though it's been a long time coming. Um, if you're at 40 kilometers and there's no end in sight, like you don't get to stop in two kilometers, you just need to keep going endlessly. Yeah. That is really, really draining. And so what leaders are experiencing is this 
just wearing down of uh, of responsibility, the the stress of having to make difficult decisions, of having to make decisions with incomplete information, with heaps of uncertainty. So, and then having to show up and be the steady hand at the helm is an enormous amount of pressure. And uh, leaders are are really, yeah, they're just getting ground down by that. Yeah. And um, I think what they're finding is useful is connecting with other leaders and actually sharing some of that and to know that they're not alone. They're not the only ones who are feeling out of their depth at times. Um, and then also just sharing the good news for, for some businesses and some leaders who, who are going great guns. And it's not all bad news for everybody. Yeah. So there are some businesses that, are, that have, have done extraordinarily well and are looking after the people really well. And there are those who are not. Um, and I think appreciating both sides is, is useful to each other. I think what you've done here has brought some really nice perspective to the conversation. And you mentioned um, this idea that really perspective brings a whole lot of power and we can see more. When we, and when we can see more, we can lead better. Um, is perspective something that came out of that, um, that journey through the wilderness and some of your connection with the outdoors? When I think about perspective, the metaphor of wilderness, definitely comes to mind because you can definitely like literally like if you're climbing a mountain you can see more when you go higher yeah um and i think um there was it's one of the lessons you learn when you're learning to navigate in the bush is if you don't know where you are climb a mountain so you can get a bit of perspective you can see where you are in the greater scheme of things and that can help orient to what you need to do next and as a practical thing in the bush, it applies exactly to leadership. Mm. If you're lost and feel stuck, what you need is you need to rise above it and see what are the patterns around you. What are the systems in place that are creating this experience? Um, so it's possibly that it's been embedded in all of my experiences in mm. terms of getting rise above it and get a bigger picture view is definitely something that helps. Um, in terms of the development of perspective, that's something that over the last probably 10 years, I've been learning a lot more about from exploring things like system thinking, scenario planning, environmental scanning, trying to get a handle on what what is really going on. And when I think about perspective and how powerful it can be, what I've come to learn in my research and experience is that the further we look in terms of time horizons, the better we can see our impact and what has come before and led to the current moment. Mm. So I encourage leaders to look at whatever choice they're making, what has led to this point from historical point of view, as far back as we can go, and what could be the ramifications further into the future. So that's one aspect of perspective is this time um, breadth. And then I encourage them also to look at um, scope, you know, what is the ripple effect who else is this going to impact? So it comes back to the whole idea of throwing your rubbish into the uh, through the side gate. You know, if you're throwing your rubbish out through the side gate, it's going to affect your neighbor, it's going to affect the community, it's going to affect um, the service providers. So thinking about that ripple effect and consequences of your action is another way to do perspective. Mm. And from a leadership point of view, probably the one the one that is also incredibly powerful is to dive deep below the surface and look at what the systems are that are driving behavior. One of the things I've come to realize is when we have people stuff problems, people like to think that it's personality. Oh no, it's a personality clash that those two don't like each other. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's a really easy default position because we basically toss up our hands in the air and go, well, well, it's personality, can't do anything about that. 
and that's rubbish. And what generally I find is that it's more likely to be systems that are the problem than personalities. So what I mean by systems is like how we do business together, how we make decisions, how we do promotions, how we do recruitment, how we do recognition is the stuff that can cause difficult behavior. So if we dive below the surface of these uh, visible problems and we look at some of these systems that create the behaviors, we have a chance of changing the systems to create long-term positive change. Um, so I think that's, that going below the surface that way is really super important. So looking at complexity under the surface is pretty important. So we've got uh, breadth and ripple effect, and we've got um, depth in terms of systems and complexity, and we've got, I'm thinking forward. <laughs> what was the word I used for forward? Forward back. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that sort of duration kind of perspective. So when we do that kind of work, it it helps us to just slow down a little bit and become less reactive and be way more proactive. And we can make uh, decisions that are going to be um, more sensible and mm. sensitive. And I, I like the, the perspective you're bringing to this about the things that um, sit below the surface often that are unseen, but by no uh, means unimportant. Um, one of the, the conversations I often have with people is this idea of, or using the metaphor often is of the tree and the root system and the fruit. And I often say that there's things that are hidden, which is kind of the root system that supports, which enables what is visible, which is the tree and everything that comes from that, that creates what is ultimately helpful, um, which is the fruit and the, and the outcomes of the results of that. And so we, we go, mm -hmm. if we can get the health right, then we can produce the growth we need and we'll see the results that we want. Um, rather than going, well, what are the results we want? And then let's become really demanding of the, you know, the growth that we need for it. And then the result of it, we neglect all the things that are the systems that help us to kind of sustain what we do. And mm. and you've touched on it really nicely. There is going like what might be sitting below the surface here that we need to deal with that might actually be the problem that's creating all of the the symptoms that we're seeing. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, and I love the fact that you use the tree metaphor. One of the exercises I have in the book, my new book, People Stuff, is to um, to do a problem tree, which is exactly that. You know, yeah. you start with the surface, the surface top of the tree problem, and then you develop two roots off that. You know, what are the two roots that are leading to that particular thing? And then off each of those roots, you do two more branches. And so you have this sort of cascade effect of looking deeper and deeper into what is the cause of this ultimate poor behavior. Mm. And when you do that, like uh, you start off with personality class and you end up with remuneration system as an example of the real cause of the issue. And um, it helps us to make to have better interactions with our people, and it also stops us from being dismissive and judgmental. Um, and you're right; like we don't want to make, we don't want to have band-aid solutions for complex problems. And doing this kind of um, root, root and tree and fruit <laughs> kind of exploration <laughs> is a really great way of trying to look at the the complexity of the situation. And people are nothing if not complex. Yeah. And so if we were to, to look at some of this, um, like this ability to be able to get below the surface and to, to understand what are some of the systems that might be producing some of these problems. Because I know you've talked a little bit, I've, I've followed some of your content on LinkedIn about making sure that we're addressing the right problems and, and we're, we're asking the right questions before we go in and try and just solve 
you know, everything that's happening. Like, what are some of the ways that we can really get below the surface through some of these conversations to really dig deep to what might be causing some of the, the systems that might be causing some of our people issues? The essential skill is the practice of perspective. Mm. Um, so in that, it's about expanding your focus as much as possible. Um, so we've talked a little bit about that, you know, so how far into the future, into the past can we look? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the ripple effect and how deep underneath the surface can we go? For the under the surface type of thing, one of the exercises is definitely doing a systems uh, a systems map. Um, so that's looking at the interactive pieces of how people bump into each other and how systems bump into each other. And looking at the hot spots and friction points of what's what's smooth and what's not smooth in, in terms of those um, iterations. So that's one way of going about doing mm-hmm. it is doing that kind of analysis. I think systems thinking is probably the most brilliant piece that we can use to apply that. Here's another one I think is really helpful too is because every system is every all systems are based on values and beliefs. And I think we can map out the dynamics of a system. And if we peel peel back, that's not, let's keep with the same metaphor. Dig a little deeper underneath. Mm then we can look at what are the assumptions we're making in this? What are the beliefs that are at play here? What are the values at play here? And this is, um, what's the name of the book? The five something of leadership. I'll have to find that. Five transformations of leadership. No, that's not it. I'll have to think about the title for you. <laughs> that's all right. We can find it. We'll put it, in the sh- we'll put it in the show notes for it. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it. That's a really important book. Um, Richard Haynes. Oh, thank good. That's the name of the author of the book. And he talks about it. He uses an iceberg, a metaphor uh, to look at that. So mm. he talks about systems and underneath all the systems are values and beliefs. So we're going to dig into it. I think one of the ways to do that is to list and challenge all of your assumptions. Um, so I've encouraged leaders to do that with at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, what are your assumptions you're making at the moment? And are they true? Mm. How likely are they? And it's a way to just test what kind of narrative you're 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 sharing and so on. Um, so that's a really useful one to do, you know, and that can help assess whether our filters are working for us or not. And often we think, oh, I've just made that assumption. It's not based on anything but guesswork. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes it's like, oh, that's a useful parameter. I think we can work with that. Um, so that's a couple of ways I would dig below the surface to look at what's going on. The big skill is becoming self-aware of your own thinking, and this is an advanced leadership skill. Mm. Uh, it's to become to be able to turn our lens and look at our own thinking requires an understanding that we have lenses, <laughs> and not everybody gets that straight away. It's a learned thing. It's a something that we need to reflect on, um, and it's it's a signifier that we've moved into a new way of seeing the world and ourselves when we realize that. All of us have a partial truth, um, a truth that works for us mm. through a set of filters, but it's only partial. Together, we share that partial truth. We have a bitter, bit of a bigger picture, and rarely do we get the absolute fundamental truth, unless you talk to a physicist, and even then, then they get into interesting conversations around quantum mechanics and so on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we we were. I was having this conversation um, with Cameron Schwab, who's who's on the podcast as well, and we were having this conversation about the ability to hold something, uh, a belief, both tightly and loosely. Um, in the sense, mm-hmm. you, you have to have belief that you can hold on to and stand on, whilst at the same time, the question can be, can, am I able to hold it loose enough for it to be challenged or changed? Which is a, quite an interesting paradox to be able to hold something tightly and loosely at the same time. I have a thought around that. Like, yeah. Um, because I think it's like, ah, makes me wonder, like, is there anything that we can hold on to that's definitive or all beliefs need to be held on to loosely? Mm-hmm. And um, I think on reflection on that, my first inclination would be like, no, every thought is, is a made up thing. And yet I think there's probably three things that the great philosophers would turn to, and that's goodness, beauty, and truth. And um, if we can hang on to those things as something that are fundamentally resonant for us, then mm. we've got a greater chance of having some sort of form in our in our world. Mm. Of course, the how do you define truth? How do you define beauty? How do you find goodness? Becomes the challenge. Yeah. Uh, but as principles and as guiding lights, I think it's not too bad. And the other thing I would say to hang to to build on what Cam's saying, um, I believe. In the practice of perspective is about expanding your 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 view as well as being able to focus and balancing that mm. is wisdom and compassion. So best of the mind and best of the heart. And to do that, we need to have three things. That's humility, humble enough to know that we don't know anything, yeah. uh, curiosity, and a willingness to have a look and be open to be open to that. And that's to hold the belief loosely part and care, to actually care about the people in the world around us. And I think those three, those three qualities, humility, curiosity, and care, uh, help, help us stay the course, even if we can't put definitions or hold strongly to these beliefs that you're talking about. Mm. Again, like we we could dive deep on humility, we could dive deep on curiosity, and we could dive deep on care and all those <laughs> conversations. I, one of the things I've I've really loved is again, I'm quite a visual person, so I'm imagining this place of perspective that we get where we can kind of rise above some of the situations that we find ourselves in and change the way we see them. We can look at this through the lens of looking backwards and looking forwards, which helps us bring perspective. We can look at the ripple effect that takes place that can help us bring perspective, and we can get down below the surface and challenge some of these underlying assumptions. All these things are going to help us to build perspective, which is going to help us ultimately lead better. What do you think are some of the things that get in the way of us actually having some perspective? Like what are some of the things that affect our perspective? Fear, Mm. fear of loss in particular, um, shuts off our perspective. So from a neuroscience point of view, a fear of loss triggers our survival mechanism, which fires up our amygdalas and cortisol adrenaline through our body and narrows our point of view so we get a bit more tunnel vision. It shuts off access to our frontal lobe, our neocortex, so our rational brain gets uh, put on sort of ice or on hold for a moment mm. while we go into this fight, flight, or freeze uh, kind of modality. And when, we're, when that's happened to us, it's very difficult to learn to engage compassionately with someone, uh, to have progressive and collaborative conversations. We don't because we just get hooked by our biology as a result. So absolutely, this is one of the things that gets in the way of us having perspective, um, is our neuroscience and is our biology. And I think along with that, too, if we are tired, if we haven't slept well, if we haven't eaten well, if we have an illness, if we have an injury, our physical ailments 
are incredibly huge filters. I mean, the body is an amazing um, service uh, service entity to ourselves. It helps us filter and experience the world. And if it's got damage to it, it, it can become all-consuming. Mm. Uh, so I think those two things in particular can stop up our point of our perspective. And then I think it's... Um, well, it's our cognitive biases, and mm-hmm. the very nature of cognitive bias means that we're often not aware of them. Uh, so there's these default patterns. We're not even aware of our default patterns because we haven't thought about them as rules that we that we play by because we just assume they're a truth. We don't even know that they're a truth. It's like the fish swimming in water doesn't know that there's water. It's just fish in its environment yeah. until you take the fish out of water and go, hey, this is what you swim in every day. They go, oh, my God, there's something apart from water. Probably the classic example of what I'm talking about here is an experience I had a few years ago with a participant from the Torres Strait. And uh, I was facilitating a session. It was going late into the night. And the session was around storytelling, as in tell your personal life story. Mm. And it was getting super late. And uh, I was worried about the course dragging on into the night affecting the next day. So one of the participants, the Torres Strait Islander, he was going on and on and on. Like he was 30 minutes, I think, into his story when wow. I'd given him all 10 minutes. I'm like, oh my God. So I was doing a bit of watch watching. And finally I said, okay, we need to wind it up so we can get onto the last two participants and get to bed. So he quickly startled out of his story and wrapped up and uh, went on. Um, the next day he didn't show up to to the course. I'm like, where is he? Um, so I went and found him and I went and he was looking mm, disengaged, upset. And I'm like, what's going on? Mm. And in the course of our conversation, I discovered that in Torres Strait Islander culture, when you share a story, it's a sacred experience. You know, mm. they're a, they're, um, they're an oral culture. They share culture, history, and connection all through verbal story. Mm. And if you cut someone off, it is the height of rudeness. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. I had, yeah. I was just blown away. I had, I had no paradigm for that uh, because I was coming from my cognitive bias paradigm of that. It's important to stick to time and yeah. stick to time. Means, you know, you do your 10 minutes, you're done. I had no understanding or point of view around the cultural importance of sharing your story as a way of connecting and, and having that action be misinterpreted or interpreted in a way that wasn't intended. It was just mind blowing to me. And I completely changed as a human being at that point. Uh, first of all, I learned about that people actually have different points of view around time and around storytelling, which I didn't know before. And that, that freaked me out. It's like when you didn't know that there was pigeons and all of a sudden you discover a pigeon, it's like, what (laughs) is this creature? (laughs) What is this thing? I did not know these things existed. Maybe <laughs> pigeons a bad example. Maybe kangaroo, okay? So if you've never seen a kangaroo before, you're like, what is that thing? Um, so it's a bit, a bit like that. Like the world got a lot bigger and a lot more complex and a lot more sensitive for me in that moment. And I became a lot more sensitive in that moment. I became more, cur- first of all, humiliated and embarrassed and mortified that I'd upset and um upset someone like that unintentionally. Mm. And then uh, extreme curiosity to try and understand the Torres Strait Islander experience and perspective and value system uh, more extensively and where where that system interfaced well with 
white Australian culture mm. and where it didn't and what the Torres Strait Islanders have to contend with day after day of being misunderstood and by extension, the Aboriginal people of Australia too. Um, and I am way more aware about that and nowhere near aware enough to understand what's really happening for people who have to live with these clashes of points of view, clashes of values and, and clashes of perspective every day uh, to their detriment. Like mm-hmm. Aboriginal culture is always having to make allowances for the blind and obtuse white average, uh, white Australian perspectives. And mm-hmm. it's exhausting to have to explain yourself all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's how I changed in a moment in that particular uh interaction if we were to kind of come back to the three kind of big words that you gave around curiosity humility and care it's like really care is the is the byproduct if we can be curious we can ask the questions but we can't change unless we've got humility and if we can be curious and be humble then it allows us to actually care for people in a different way than if we were to come in with our assumptions or to to come in just with a a narrow perspective on something um, when I was um, writing my book, there's a there's a in the chapter one of the chapters I used two pictures and one is a picture of like a little square taken from the background of the Mona Lisa, and it's kind of like a, I ask people to kind of identify the painting based on the tiny little square and it's impossible to do and people go I wouldn't recognize it but when you see it within the context of the bigger picture, all of a sudden mm. you you realize the value and the worth that's just behind that and I think what you're talking about here is when we come in through the lens of humility and curiosity around things we actually see a much bigger picture than what we could see before and it allows us to then care in a different way and lead in a different way um is that kind of some of the things that i'm hearing that's certainly the intention (laughs) (laughs) that's certainly the intention is to to see and be mindful as much as you can and uh i think the humility piece needs to be reinforced there because as soon this is this is a really interesting thing i discovered as soon as we think that we've got it all sorted, as soon as we think we've got it mastered, mm. this is what happens. It's our shadow self. The shadow self, uh, this particular one, is the shadow of the elder archetype. And the shadow of the elder archetype is hubris, that sort of sense of arrogance, and I've got this, I've got this kind of mm. thing. I'm good. I've got a great sense of perspective. I'm a wise person. I've learned all this stuff. I've been around a lot. And it happened subtly, um, this sense of I, I know. And that was sort of my bubble bursting <laughs> humility moment was mm. one of, that was one of them, just not the only one. Um, that sort of led me to remind myself that mm, as soon as we think we're, we're, go- we're good at something, that's definitely a sign that we're moving into a, a place of blindness. Mm. And there's some really wonderful quotes, one, of, uh, one from Voltaire, which is, um, if I've learned anything, it's that I know nothing. And Aristotle said something similar like that. And I think that's a useful frame to hang on to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, well, we, I'm not sure that we can ever get it right. But we, if, we, if we go with good intention and an open heart and a wise head, then we've got a better chance than we otherwise would have had than stomping in blindly to a situation and putting our assessment of judgment upon what we find. Mm. And I guess we're going to bring the conversation into to close. Um, and one of the things I'd love to do is to kind of give you space to, if there's any um, practical things that you could um, encourage someone that might be finding themselves in a place that's similar to what you talked about at the very start of the podcast, which is, you know, they've just got 
the kind of the weight of the people stuff on their shoulders. They're, they're struggling to kind of get their, um, you know, that get up onto the top of the mountain, so to speak, and to, to get some of that perspective because potentially they're just feeling really drained because they're running a marathon that they kind of can't see the finish line to anything that you would leave people with is just this kind of either encouragement or practical advice that they could be um, doing next to kind of create some personal momentum. Well, there's the very first principles, which is stop and breathe. Yeah. You know? And, um, it sounds so simple. And uh, actually, James Clear wrote an article today, and he said, you need to take the simple things seriously. And that's the problem. Most people don't take the simple things seriously. Wow. So we know it's a simple thing to stop and breathe. And we do enough of us take that seriously to actually do it. <laughs> yeah. I think, okay, yeah, useful point. Um, so the simple things like stopping and breathing, and what that does, it allows our amygdala to calm down and our neocortex to come back online. So that's one way of avoiding that bias that we can often show up with and railroad into and calms down our nervous system. So that's like a very fundamental basic principle. I think as a broader principle, the idea that if you can know the patterns, you can manage the people Mm. is really useful. And there's a number of different models that you can turn to to unpack or map the dynamics of what you're experiencing. Um, so there's a, there's a couple models in my book along that, which map out those triggers. So you asked earlier a question about what keeps us from having perspective and that fear of loss is one of them. There's a model in there that sort of maps out some of the four key losses that, that drive us into uh, what I call the four devils of people stuff are unhelpful behavior. So we know those kind of patterns those kind of models that helps us navigate the territory a little bit. So I guess learning as much as you can about uh, different models and different maps of human behavior and human systems is a, is a bigger picture way of getting a handle of uh, seeing the pattern so you can manage the people. What you've touched on here is if we people stuff has both the the people stuff that might make cause a person to feel drained or feel overwhelmed, but there's also the good people stuff as well, which waits for for us on the other side of this perspective. And uh, and I think that's something that we can all um, have, I guess, hold up as an aspiration is that we get to enjoy both both sides of people. Um, and there's so many great helpful resources within your book um, to help people to navigate this. Um, and I love that you've called it an advanced handbook for leadership. Um, and so the book's called. Be- people stuff beyond personality problems and I definitely think for people who are finding themselves resonating with this conversation which I'm sure many will be um, they can jump on your website zoryrath.com which I'll put the link in the show notes for people uh, to be able to get a copy of your book and 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 to kind of, kind of navigate through some of the exercises in there to help us to get um, I guess more perspective because when we, you're right when we see more it helps us to lead better as as leaders and so Zoe big thank you for being part of the conversation oh such a pleasure thank you so much for having me That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.